Yeah. Hey. hey. Awesome. Oh, hey, Hello. there <laughs> How are you doing, Tessa? I'm all right. I'm hanging in. How are you? Fabulous. It's really nice Good. to have you on our podcast. And we're looking forward to Deeply Human. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready to just jump in? Sure. Yeah. You, you gotta have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. Welcome to Third Eye. Today, we'll be speaking with musician, poet, author, educator, and the creator of the new podcast, Deeply Human, Dessa. We'll be discussing diversity, metacognition, curiosity, purpose, and some examples of her own teaching. Your career would be what we in education would call very cross-curricular. You dabble in many areas, memoirs, poetry, music. Do you have any recommendations, any tools, any ideas, suggestions to help our students, staff, really a more broader audience uh, do the same thing that you've been doing in your life? You know, I think that we do sort of kind of partition the areas of study when we're teaching it in a way that isn't always really useful for the practice of, of a lot of areas of study. So like curiosity doesn't really abide by the lane demarcations on the road. You know, the question, how does the world work, isn't posed in a different way to a sociologist or to a chemist. You know, wanting to understand how the world is put together sort of really easily crosses all of those lines. So I think whenever possible to, to collaborate across disciplines makes for more interesting projects. And one of the mantras that I try to remind myself of and when I was teaching that I would sometimes mention to my students was to take your curiosity seriously. You know, a lot of times it seems like indulging in one's curiosity is something that you would do in off hours. But to reprioritize that impulse so that it becomes imperative, you know, like part of the focus of your work. That's where new ideas come from, is following that scent trail, even if you're not sure exactly where it leads. So yeah, like taking your curiosity more seriously, you know, the idle Google isn't something you do when you're done with the rest of your work. It is your work. How do you prioritize your curiosity, Dessa? I think just in the way I mentioned, like, you know, if, if I wonder something, it's not like, oh, look that up later when your emails are done. It's like, stop emailing and go look that up right now. Like, what is that? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like there was a thread in there about the questions that we ask ourselves, because you talked about chemists and the way they look at their world. Uh, the questions they ask themselves would certainly be through a chemistry lens. And is there anything about how we frame our curiosity or, or the limitations and constraints we put on it? I mean, I don't know if a chemist always would frame it or always need frame their questions in a in that kind of lens. The answers might be obtained through the tools of a chemist, but like when you have a house plant and it bends towards the light of your window, like how come it does that has to do with chemistry and it has to do with the expansion and contraction of cell walls that are initiated by a, a photosynthetic response, right? But how come it does that is not a question that's phrased in chemical terms necessarily. I love it. <laughs> Can I ask, I, I didn't know that you've taught before, but I am curious myself. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, I taught, um, I taught at the college level for essentially two organizations in Minneapolis where musicians 
would seek instruction. So people who were hoping to be performers or maybe future educators themselves who had a passion for contemporary music. Yeah. So I, I taught some lyrics classes and I also taught essentially business writing, but without <laughs> without those terms, how to write compellingly and straightforward and plain spoken ways when part of your job is to inform part of your job might be to persuade as well. So how to like write a decent bio or a press release, that kind of stuff. Did you have a favorite tool, technique, lesson, something that our, our listeners would be like, oh, wow, I could do a lesson Dessa did. I, I did a lot on figurative language in part because that's a personal passion. You know, like I'm a sucker for a killer metaphor. And so we did a lot of stuff on that. Also, we really drilled into the show don't tell kind of rule, which I, I think is often provided to students without an explanation. At least as a student myself, I don't remember understanding why we were supposed to show don't tell. Like I knew that was a maxim, but I didn't know the rationale, you know, behind it. And so we really delved into this idea that if you want your readers to know something, you can tell them. But if you want them to care about something, you have to show it. So we did a lot of work on trying to figure out like how to demonstrate emotional states, you know, instead of saying someone is jealous or someone is angry. Like, how do you know by observing when someone is jealous or angry? Because really rarely do your friends just tell you, I'm jealous and angry. You know, you're inferring that from their behavior. So what is it? How do their eyes look? How do they hold their pencil? What, are they, what, is their, what does their jaw do? You know, and if you can start to really identify those behaviors in your daily life, like that, that burden of observation is a huge part of what's being a rad writer. It's like not just putting the words down, it's noticing the human behavior in the world around you. Yeah. Is there anything in particular, Dessa, that you hope educators or their students uh, leverage from your work? You've got this vast portfolio. Is there anything in the back of your mind when you're producing or after you've produced it where you, you think, oh, this would be fantastic in classrooms? <laughs> I mean, I uh, I don't know. It sounds a little self-celebratory. I think <laughs> part of the time I'm like, oh, man, I hope this makes sense. It's my first thought or I hope this connects as opposed to like, oh, my gosh, the lucky instructor who's going to add this. But, but I, I am most flattered, maybe I'd say, you know, whenever someone decides to, um, to incorporate some of my, some of my writing, you know, to, to look at metaphor and literary structure, like I'm a, not a nerd, that's not quite it, but like my, um, I'm a big fan, I'll say, I'm a big fan of subtext. And so I spend a lot of time like digging holes in my own story and burying treasure there, knowing that a lot of times for a casual reader, it's not going to be worth the effort to dig it up. But if someone did want to spend a lot of time doing the analysis of the color words, oh my God, are they going to find a pattern that progresses throughout? You know, I like that stuff. I like codes and I like building kind of um, trap doors and hidden basements into the story. You know, now not every like character name is an anagram, but maybe not every character name is not an anagram. <laughs> you know? uh, so... Anytime someone wants to engage with, with text in a, like a careful read like that, you know, to see if there might be something else happening, that's really flattering. And then I would say the unanticipated ways that my, my work sometimes appears in curricula is, um, is the songwriting. Like I'm never sure how that fits in. You know, a lot of, 
I think there are a lot of really creative teachers who are looking to contemporary music to to break out, you know, some of the siloed instruction to connect the textbook to the real world. And so I've always been really flattered when someone uses a song like um, like Fire Drills, which is one of the rap songs from my most recent record that talks about what it's like to be a woman. And I hope it's not in a it wasn't written in anger or it wasn't written, you know, vengefully. It was written as a an affidavit like, hey, just for the record, this is what it feels like to live in my body. I don't know what it feels like to live in other bodies. So it's only through that report, I think, that that we develop a whole lot of like our most robust empathies, you know. And so I've been really flattered on somebody, particularly a dad. Like I've had a couple of dads say, man, I really, you know, I think about this when I'm raising my daughters. And that always makes me. <laughs> no, I was just going to say your, your lyrics. I'm not your typical listener, probably. To be honest with you, I've not been big into hip hop or, or uh, rap for that matter, because that's not my genre. But uh, when we learned that you were going to be a, a guest, I started to dig in and listen and learn a bit about your music. And I'm, I am blown away by it, and I'm really impressed by uh, uh, the passion and uh, imagery of your words. Uh, I, yeah, really wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Uh, we got to write a series of articles because, you know, we reached out to educators, and we got a lot. We got way more than we expected back. There's clearly a passion for using your work in education. And one of the articles in particular was how you model being human, how you you represent that, obviously through your work, but even on stage. And talking to us right now, you're doing it. And as odd as it may sound, that that's difficult to do. Uh, you are a rarity in doing so. And so when we found out your podcast was named Deeply Human, we were like, of course it is. <laughs> uh, but it seems like something that we need to strive to do in education to make authentic connections with our students. It seems like something that you do very naturally, or, or maybe not. Maybe it's a struggle. Do you have any suggestions for, for people seeking to be human? I mean, maybe like most people, 2020, I think, really tested a lot of the rules that I was living by. And some of them proved inadequate, you know, like they just did yeah. revising the model as we go. But I think learning and accepting the fact that mid-course adjustments are unending, like the world will change and your place will change within it as you grow older or maybe you move to a different city, but the conditions are variable. And so the rules that worked well for 10 years might not work for the next 10. I find that uncomfortable <laughs> but I think that's the way it is man like get better you know I, I grew up in Minneapolis and um even if I could have written down the sentences that I knew about race I didn't I didn't get how big it was I didn't get how everyday and big it was you know and I think a lot of us after uh, you know after after George Floyd are revisiting our own thoughts on like how does this work and also like how do I work in this system even if like I don't, I didn't build it and I don't dig it. Okay, well, is there anything I can do to like loosen the screws for the parts that really suck? You know, even just in my own daily life, like what does that actually mean to live, right? Those are the questions that I'm definitely asking. 
And I think maybe like most people, I think it sucks to say I was wrong. I know I want to get better at that. You know, I do, I do make a deliberate point of, um, of being vulnerable publicly in part because I, I just, I don't know, a lot of the posturing, at least in the business that I work in, bummed me out. Also, I wasn't sure like, okay, if I put on a lot, a lot of makeup, for example, just to really pick like something minor, you know, but if I wear a lot of makeup, I can take a very glamorous picture. But if my career depends on me looking very glamorous all the time, like how long would that career last? Like everybody else, right? Like if I get in there, you can see, you know what I mean? Like we're all aging and I don't want my, I don't want my career to be over immediately when I don't look young anymore. And that's this year, you know, like that's happening now. So, so I'm aware of stuff like that, of like when we can to put value where we'd most like to see it. Um, I think about that a lot as a consumer too, although I don't practice it perfectly, but it's like plants grow where sun shines. Culture grows a lot of times where attention and money shines. So like to try to be more deliberate about shining light on stuff that's awesome. You know, even just on the, <laughs> the cesspool that is sometimes social media, like shine the light where the good is, you know, um, in, in addition to criticizing the bad, but that's the kind of stuff I think about. Also, like in a real deliberate way, I think a few years ago, I was considering the sort of received wisdom that sensitivity and toughness were opposite ends of a continuum and um, deciding that I, I don't, I don't think I believe that. Like, I think that it's a Cartesian plane, you know, I think that those are two independent variables. I think that you can be sensitive as hell and still really tough. Um, in fact, I think you're more sensitive if you stay standing and you feel every hit, you know, as opposed to somebody, uh, as opposed to somebody who's just got a cement jaw. Like if it hurts you and you make yourself available to the world and stay in it, that's tougher to me than building this impenetrable skin. Right. So yeah, like, you know, there's, there's a rap song, you know, I never scared. And it's funny. It's cool. It's appreciable. But like, I'm scared of, you know, I get scared. I freak out. I, you know, I cry. Um, and then you try to stay in it. It's, it's really interesting, Dustin, to hear you talk about that, because something that, that we talk about a lot with our teachers is illustrating metacognition, that thinking about your thinking and that everything you just said the last few minutes was essentially you being metacognitive with us. And I think that's one of the things, it makes your vulnerability shine in a way that makes it perfect for sharing with students because they can think about their own thinking while processing the way you're processing your own thoughts, whether that be through a rap song or a, a chapter from your book or, or a poem of yours. Yeah, I would say that, you know, one of my abiding passions um, is sort of theory of mind. It's maybe sloppy language, but this kind of like homunculi, you know, this idea that that there's someone in your head running the ship, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> but, but I think a lot of times, particularly in times of trial, it does feel like subjectively as though there are different impulses vying for expression. You know, it's like you want to be your best self, but you're so mad, right? Okay, well, that's an environment in which you know, it's like you want to clap back at somebody, you know, you want to engage somebody in anger, but at the same time, you know, you also have like this dim chiming of, 
you know, whatever your, your mother's counsel or, or if you're a person of faith, you know, lessons thereof. Like, I think a lot of times we do experience times of crisis as like a multiplicity of motives vying for primacy. You know, I want to be my best self, but all my lesser angels are chomping at the bit. At least I experience life like that. So try to hand the mic to the best one inside you, you know. I think just being authentic whenever you can is important because people will, will see through the veneer if you try to put up a different front. Being vulnerable, I've gotten real accustomed to that, hmm. especially these days. Uh, during a during COVID, when everyone wants decisions to be made fast, mm. or the tough decisions you have to make and live with right now, mm. you just have to be vulnerable and accept that you, you don't have all the answers and that you're you're not in control, and that's okay. You know that you got to just let go a little bit and just make the best decisions you can. Totally, I think like slowing down to um, huh, I'm. All, I'm speedy naturally and I don't like pauses. Um, but yeah, like, is this what I want to say? Is this a decision to make? Like, I think that's a skill I'm trying to practice more in 2021 anyway. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, right? Saying like, I don't have that answer. I don't have that piece of information. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned being purposeful with where you shine your light. Is there anywhere you'd like to shine that light in the world of education? Anything you'd like to draw our attention to those people listening to us? Hmm. You know, I do some guest lectures pre-COVID and during this time, you know, where I like essentially you pop on a Zoom call, you know, or you make an in-person visit to class. And, and I, I remember I used to visit the fair school every every year, um, particularly the class of Tom Rademacher, Mr. Rad, who ended up being teacher of the year. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's less it's less me like providing a morsel of wisdom and me being like, man, he gave me a lot of morsels <laughs> of wisdom. Just like I don't know, trying to read the room from a bigger perspective. And I think even just now, like, God, it's I sound I don't, it's not <laughs> it's not like hypersensitivity I'm advocating, and it's not treating everything with kid gloves, but just. I don't know, like, when is Ramadan and how will that affect snack time? Little things like that, you know, like trying to be mindful of like yeah. where everybody in the room is coming from. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Does that, I don't know, just the, the multiplicity of vantage points and experiences that are probably represented in any room that you're not alone in. <laughs> and that's interesting, too, because that's something that we three have talked a lot about is also, not just the room that you're in, but the room that you're going to be in. So hmm. acknowledging um, acknowledging the diversity that might be currently around you, but also if you, in, in a community like Dover Yoda, it's pretty small. And so we don't have a ton of diversity in, say, our classes. Right. But the world that our students right. will graduate into does. So how do we prepare those kids for the, the world at large and not just the community that they've been raised in? Um, wow. And so that's something we talk about a lot. That's such a good point. You know, sometimes I might be in the minority on this, but when it comes to diversity and inclusion, I mean, some of the, some of the experiences that I've had as a, as a person and as a musician and as an occasional teacher and an occasional student, like the biggest lessons that I've had on that stuff didn't include those words, right? It's not, it's not diversity day. It's, um, it's violin day, 
And oh my God, that guy is so good. Oh, he doesn't speak English. Well, who does? What does he speak? How do I talk? Ah, right. It's, it's not diversity. It's the means to a better end. Do you know what I mean? Whereas a lot of times I think we're treating it as the end in itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so like, I'm part of some cultural exchange programs, you know, so on the moments where like, I've gotten to travel a lot, you know, so going to South Africa or going to Beijing and trading ideas there, we're not, we don't have to do so under the banner of like, share cultural ideas. It's enough to say like, I want to sing a song with you. How do we do that? Right. Okay. Well, okay. Let's, let's find a way to communicate with our hands, right? How the pitches will move. And then I want to stay and talk because I've liked you, right? The music connected us and that made me want to understand what do you do for, like, what what are you having for dessert? (laughs) You know, can can I join you? I don't know. I just, spending time with people who are different will do its own work. Mm -hmm. I love that. Adessa, we have a a thing with our podcast that we do. It's three rapid fire questions called The Blink of Three Eyes. In The Blink of Three Eyes, what podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately. Jane the Virgin. Uh, I didn't watch that when it was on, and I just watched the last episode three days ago, and I'd been saving it because I was so sad that all these characters were going to die. Right? <laughs> like, in my head, they're over. Their lives are, you know, their world collapses back into fiction. But, um, but yeah, I've been thinking about that show a lot. <laughs> well, here's the next one. Uh, we, we really value innovation. And so what is one innovation that you've seen recently or would like to see? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to sail. I don't know if it's going to hold water, but, um, but those, that new audio app, oh my God, I sound like on my own great grandmother. What is it called? The one that's blowing up, uh, clubhouse. Oh yeah. Like I'm curious to know if that's going to forge connections between people who might not otherwise be connected. Like, you know that kind of connecting in audio worlds particularly right now where we're all so you know we all live in this kind of brady bunch grid so i'm hopeful my fingers are crossed i guess yeah last one for you listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning what might that first action be Ooh, um set aside half an hour to write down what you're curious about whether that's is it possible to surgically turn brown eyes blue? I think it is. I was just reading about it the other day. What's up with what's up with um, the personality tests that are associated with blood types in Japan? Is that a thing? There's like blood type discrimination. What is that? How does that work? Like what's going on in Myanmar? Wh- whatever you're interested in or how to, you know, uh, watercolors, like to like take that seriously and I don't know, prioritize it. That's tough. I know time is of short order, but even like 10 minutes to just like Google what, you're curious about. I love that. Yeah. I love how tangible it is um, for something for something to do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dessa, for being here with us today. We really appreciate it. This is Yay. phenomenal. You are the best. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're excited about your your new <laughs> podcast when it's coming out pretty soon. So, Ooh. I right a better self promotional visitor would have been like subscribe to Deeply Human. <laughs> That's the call to action. That clip's gonna make our podcast. <laughs> no, every awesome. just, every fifteenth, uh, you are rolling out a new single. Is that correct? This I am. Gosh, wow! Alley oop from yeah. Mike. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, when the when the pandemic started, obviously touring is off the yeah. table, and a lot of times, like the the release schedules for musicians is dictated by touring. Sure. A lot of you're they they you know they 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 interleave right. So you'd make music, you record it, you run around and play it, then you come back, rinse repeat. <laughs> so I was like, yo, if we're not touring, it'd be kind of nice to have something to look forward to every month. It's exciting. It's for a regular. Great idea. Thanks. As an English teacher, I love that you. The, just the title of Ides and the 15th and like it just it just made me made my nerd self so happy classes all the way up yeah all the way up scholars thank you so much Odessa for being our guest today make sure that you subscribe to Deeply Human and check out Ides also thank you to Mike Carolyn Heather Light and Nick Truxel our hosts as well as Dover Iota for supporting this program thank you to Michael Terrell for our theme song and Join us next time for Mark Barden, challenger brand enthusiast and author of A Beautiful Constraint. In future episodes, join us for phonics expert Wiley Blevins and national award-winning librarian Audrey Betcher. We look forward to seeing you next time on Third Eye.